Hi guys, Russell here. Uh, this is sort of like a second or a continuation of the previous post on whether the US is losing Australia and it continues on with the ideas in that original post. Uh, and just sort of what I see and what I think. And to be honest, it's driven by, you know, going to the pub with some American friends and sort of talking about what I was seeing and just finding them not being able to understand what I was trying to get at. Um, so what I'm seeing is that if you look at the US-led world, which really came into existence post-World War II, the US with its free world allies, if that's the right way, way to put it, so in, after World War II it would have been Western Europe, Japan, Australia, uh, more or less, you know, it offered you, it offered you military protection and it offered you sort of reciprocal access to the US market. Um, and, you know, that was a good deal for allies and a good deal for the US. And what the US got out of that was that they could, they basically ran the systems that ran the world. So the US dollar became the central currency, uh, treasuries became the main asset, but then things like World Bank, IMF, all of these became you know, instruments of US policy. But it was a good deal for everyone involved. Everyone, everyone made money, everyone got richer, and everyone was happy. Uh, and then when the Soviet Union collapsed uh, in the 90s, early 90s, this deal suddenly got expanded to uh, all the other regions, Eastern Europe, Asia, and most notably from China from 2000 onwards. Um, now, you know, this is a great deal for a while, but the problem I'm seeing is that the US is reneging, reneging on its side of the deal. Uh, so to give you an example, you know, you're looking at the war in Ukraine, you know, and, you know, the, the US is not able to supply the ammunition all the that, that the ukrainians need you know it's not able to guarantee that ukraine will win that war and this is combined you know on top of you know the you know the sort of military defeats we saw in both in iraq and afghanistan at least the pullouts that we saw there and sort of incomplete jobs that happened in those areas um and this is also you know for example you know so you're seeing that the military might of the us is not as overwhelming as it was and like I said, you know, one of the problems this is starting to contribute to is like the US is now asking Australia to put 50% of its military budget for the next 30 years into basically building a nuclear sub-refueling station in Perth for the US, for the US uh, Navy. Um, now, I can understand why, they, why the Americans want that. It's a little bit tricky to understand why Australia wants that, you know, because that does... You know, increase U.S. capabilities does increase Australian capabilities for a bit, but it does mean that Australia could well lose access to the Chinese market, uh, and you know, become so the deal is not as good as it used to be. You know, and as my American friends said, you got to pick a side, and I think well, it's easy for Americans to say pick a side when they don't sell sixty to seventy percent of their uh, of their goods to the market you're asking to pick a side against. And this is what I'm trying to say is that the U.S. deal is becoming, the U.S. is not living up to its side of the deal. And it's just relying on what has worked in the past to continue forward. I'm really reminded a lot of the Brexit. Uh, at the, when Brexit or Brexit referendum was coming up, I was very much in the sort of no one would vote for it. It's crazy type thing. Uh, and then it was voted for. And I suddenly realized that a lot of people were getting the bad end of that deal. And they want to change. And I'm looking at what's happening in the world today and saying the U.S. is not offering a good deal. It is not competing with China in a way uh, to make it attractive. And you've really seen that with uh, a number of current countries not supporting 
US or the Western Alliance uh, interaction with Ukraine and, and being neutral. You know, they're really voting with their feet. And I, I'm surprised that people can't see this or understand it. Um, the problem as well is that when, you know, for example, my friends say you got to pick a side, the implicit assumption is that President Xi, uh, as he's become, you know, probably president for life, they say, and autocratic is going to automatically become, uh, invade uh, other nations and become more military focused. That could be true. Certainly, you know, that has happened in the past, but there are plenty of autocratic or single party states that are allies of the US. Saudi Arabia is probably the worst. But if you look at countries like Japan or even Singapore, they've been ruled by the same party since World War II. Uh, India has got some disturbing trends. Um, and of course, Turkey, which is a NATO ally, also has some disturbing trends as well. But we don't see anything ha happening particularly there. Now, I, I can see that you can make the argument China is special, but it does make this sort of idea that this US policy is not about democracy. It's not about democracy at all, but it's about Chinese specific issues. Now, you know, to compound this sort of the US cyber deal being unattractive in my view is that the US has now adopted industrial policy to try and bring the best and biggest businesses to the US. And we can see that particularly with green policy, a number of sort of renewable and battery companies in Europe are being attracted to the States just purely on the incentives being offered. So you have a you know, US-centric financial system which offers great benefits to US, and the US used to repeat that through military protection, through access to its free market and running rules that benefit everyone. And I'm starting to see that actually reverse. Uh, and, you know, like I said, people just say, you'll take it or leave it, you know, you've got to choose a side. And I'm saying, is that really how you want to treat your allies? Why, why has that changed is a real question, I, I wonder. I got two reasons that I can come up with. One is that shale oil and gas means the US now net exporter of energy. And so, you know, the lessons of the 70s, or lessons when the US realized it had to take care of the rest of the world to, to its own benefit, no longer hold. So if the US is not uh, you know, beholden to the price of oil, it can sell that itself for its own production, it loses interest in the rest of the world. And I think there is something to that. Um, really, if you take that analogy further, it does mean that China is now under, you know, has, has this pressure to go global, to care about the world, to try and keep its commodity prices down because it is now the biggest oil employer in the world. And yeah, there are signs of that change happening. Um, I guess the second reason why I think US is treating its allies so poorly is that income inequality, I think, has become so extreme in the States that politics have become really polarized. And the Democrats are trying to spend to build up middle class. The Republicans are desperate to keep taxes lower. And there's really no little, very little gap for them to, to negotiate there. And so all sort of uh, US policies sort of become, well, what can you do for me type policy, unfortunately, which creates a big problem uh, for its allies, you know, because what can they do for them? And if you look at President Trump, who's recently become more likely to be reelected, that is exactly his type of mentality. What's in it for me? What are you giving me? I think the, the other way, which I also th like thinking about US policy, is that it's really driven by corporate interests. And, you know, US corporates, you know, they love access to the Chinese market, they love selling stuff to the Chinese, uh, they love access to Chinese manufacturers who can build stuff for them cheaply. But they're very uncomfortable with the idea of Chinese comp competition in leading industries. 
Um, and so hence you started to see this idea of China has been dangerous and we need to, to stop it. Huawei was the first one, TikTok is coming up, semiconductors and other ones. No doubt Chinese financial payment systems like Alipay and WePay will also be seen as security threats if they threaten the payment systems of Visa and MasterCard. And no doubt if BYD starts to compete into the US and compete with Tesla's position, I'm sure BYD will also be labeled a security threat. Um, and so the thing is, like, if you then look at what we see in the States is, hey, we're still record trade deficit with China. So still massive reliance on Chinese uh, manufacturers, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, but this sort of increasingly uh, restrictive policy on, on Chinese tech champions, that makes sense from a corporate profitability sense. It doesn't make sense from a security point of view. You know, you are reliant on your uh, biggest threat for so many of your products, so many of imports. That doesn't make any sense at all, but it does make sense from a corporate profitability sense. And so I think, you know, that's part of what's driving this is that, you know, the, the policy shift there is, is one that is to try and boost profits as much as possible. Um, now, and, you know, the other thing, I think the problem that the U.S. really faces here is that China is a threat in a way, uh, in a way to the U.S. financial position in a way that Germany and Japan never were, despite having huge economic might in the 80s and 90s, is that both Germany, uh, China can offer military protection, whereas uh, Japan and Germany couldn't, which is why you have to have a lot of scare stories about Chinese military uh, who have, you know, you know, that is really where that key comes from because China does offer uh, the ability to be attractive in a way that no one else can do. Um, and this is where I get worried is when, and again, it sort of comes back to this sort of pre-Brexit type of thing. If I take a sort of you know, step back and look at it, you know, every time there's like discussion of the debt default, uh, you know, it, it's, it's creating, which is a totally logical from a domestic political point of view, keeps adding to this idea that the U.S. is is starting to give up more and more of its position and making its position as a center of the financial system far and far more less, uh, less attractive to its allies. And like I said, when we look at the way the rest of the world responded to uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, that's already starting to be a real-world problem. Um, what I find probably most intriguing about the environment um, in my mind is that if the US was really serious about bringing China to heel and breaking the Chinese financial system, they should adopt the policies that they had in place uh, in the 90s, which just which caused the Asian financial crisis. And that would be tight fiscal policy and tight monetary policy. If they adopted those two policies, China probably would be in deep trouble, much deeper trouble than it is today. Um, the problem, and this is a key problem, is that these types of policies would probably be extremely detrimental uh, to US corporates, both from a profitability and from a valuation perspective. And that is, I think, at the heart of the problem. US corporates need to accept uh, some pain for US to regain the strategic initiative, in my view. Uh, and I have trouble seeing them taking that view, at least not until things get much worse uh, I think things have to get much worse before they get better in the States. All right. Thanks for listening. I hope that made sense. Take care. We'll talk soon.